have the last laugh. We have to come against him in Jesus' name. How many know you're in a spiritual battle? You know, oftentimes we talk about God, but we don't talk about the devil, but the devil's real. The beginning of the devil's story starts at creation. When the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth, Satan and the angels were created during that time. So Satan is not an eternal being. Satan has a beginning. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are from eternity. There in the beginning, though, when God created the heavens and the earth, he said it was good. So we don't assume that Satan had fallen yet. Sometimes people try to find a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 because the Bible starts off by saying that he created the heavens and the earth and then the earth uh, was void. But I don't believe that that's a gap. I believe that's just a description of how God is creating. So after God creates everything, he says it is good. I don't believe that just counts for the things on earth. I believe that also counts for the heavenly realm. So I believe sometime after... God had created man and woman. Sometime after all the earth was created and all the good that was in it, Satan falls. Satan falls and deceives a third of the angels with him. And then we see him as a serpent at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's when we get introduced to him. For the rest of the Bible, we only see him in shadows. We don't really get to see him much, I should say, in the Old Testament. Then in the New Testament, he kind of reveals himself, and then he starts to tempt our Lord and Savior Jesus after his baptism, after Jesus' baptism. And then we begin to understand that he does have authority. When he says to Jesus that if he'll bow down and worship him, he'll give him the kingdoms of the earth, Jesus doesn't say, you're a liar, you don't have the kingdoms. Uh, Jesus then responds to him, you're only, going to, only supposed to worship God. So he rebukes him with the word, but he does not contradict his truth claim that he has the kingdoms of the earth. We believe that he received those kingdoms from the garden when we had sinned by giving into his temptation. He became the lowercase g God of the earth. Now the good news is, is that Jesus on the cross defeated the devil. Everybody say amen. We know that by him taking on human likeness and then Jesus Christ dying on the cross, he defeated that which was defeating us. And so at the resurrection of Jesus, at the physical resurrection of our Lord and Savior, the victory over Satan was given to humanity. So oftentimes people with, uh, you know, impure motives try to find contradictions in the Bible. And so they'll look to something like in the book of Daniel where it says that, you know, the Son of Man receives the kingdoms of the earth and that he begins to be worshipped. And that, that is seen in Matthew chapter 28 when Jesus says, Now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So people with impure motives will say, well... If Jesus was God, how come he receives the authority now? How come he is now given all of the, the dominion? If he was God, didn't he have it from the very beginning? How many know as God he had all authority? How many know as God he had all dominion? What changed at the resurrection? Man was given it back. That's why he became a man. So God in the flesh, being the Son of Man, received the authority. Now, forever Jesus, the God-man, has the authority within himself, and he can give it to whoever he wants. So we see at the end of Matthew chapter 28, his authority is now bestowed to the church, and that is initiated at the day of Pentecost. Are you guys tracking with me? Just giving you guys some good theology here so you don't have a Star Wars version of the Bible. I just want you to understand where Satan came from, why Jesus has all the authority over him, and what we're supposed to be doing as the church. Now, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and 8, he said that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This power is attached to the authority that he had received at the resurrection. Because Jesus was sinless, sin could not hold him down. Remember, he did not say his life was taken. He laid it down. Jesus chose to die a physical death. 
death would have had no power over him, but he allowed himself to die so that he could suffer physical death for us and raise his body up. We could kick off the AC as well. I think we're okay right now. I know it's sad to see summer go. We're so used to having the AC set at a certain temperature. Thank you, my brother. When, when I see you guys putting on jackets and scarves or whatever, then I know I'm going to you know, kick it down for you or turn it off. But let me just say this, that the body of Jesus dying did not mean that Jesus didn't exist anymore. Sometimes people, once again, with impure motives, will say something like, well, how did God die on the cross? If he's God, how can he die? When we're saying that God died for us, we're not saying that the spirit of Jesus, the divine nature of Jesus died no more than when your body dies that we're saying your spirit dies. How many of you believe that when your body dies, your spirit lives on? So a physical death for Christ on the cross is not him ceasing to exist. God the Son in the flesh did not cease to exist as his body died, but his physical death was a real death. Okay. At the resurrection, he has power and authority. He then says he's going to send the Holy Spirit. So he ascends to heaven. He sends the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit comes on us. It's evidenced by speaking in other tongues, prophesying, and we still believe in those spiritual gifts today. How many believe in the boom shakalaka power of God? How many believe in that? That's why we're here today. As a church, we believe in the power of God. Some churches don't, but we do. Now, when we look at the story of the church, and we can go through the rest of the book of Acts or the epistles, where do we, where do we see the authority of Jesus, the authority that God the Son, God on behalf of mankind is the Son of Man? Where do we see that authority? We see that authority in the church. The church has the authority. Now, go back to his, his establishment of the church with Peter. And Peter says, you know, he's asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. And then he says, I'm going to change your name, and I'm going to call you Peter. And then upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, the Catholics have tried to say that that means that Peter becomes the first pope and that that's the only way you can have the church. There's a couple problems with that because when, she, when, when Peter's name is changed, he's given a masculine name. But when Jesus says, now upon this rock, Petra, that's a feminine name, he says he's going to build his church. That's the first problem that we have with Peter claiming the pope. Uh, or people giving Peter the, the office of a pope there because it's not on Peter himself personally that the church will be built. It's Peter's confession. That's the rock on which Christ will build his church. It's himself and us confessing who Christ is. And Peter just happened to be the first who did that. But what's important is that Peter is the first to get the right answer. Therefore, he's given the first, the, the first one to be given the keys, the authority of heaven and earth. But that's in Matthew chapter 16. By the time we get to Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says he gives the authority to the church that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Is everybody tracking with me? And then Peter, by the time he writes his first epistle, he said, we all as living stones, using that illustration of rock and stones, he says, now we all have li as living stones become the house of God with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Are you guys with me? So Peter takes no primal position about his rock name, which, which Cephas means rock. He takes no primal position in that in his epistle. He says, rather, we all get to share in that nature of being a living stone as we're built on Christ, the cornerstone. And then he goes on to say, I, as a fellow elder with you, ask you to share the sheep. So he does not say that he's over any of those elders based on an office of a pope. He says, basically, the elders are going to run the church, and I'm just one of them. What's important for us to know is that the church has been the living church, the living organization, which we would call the organism is an organization. So the living people in the steeple have been carrying the authority of God for over 2,000 years. How many believe that? Okay. You don't really believe it that well or you're not excited about that. How many of you believe you have authority? Okay. 
So now we have to get to Peter's letter. We have to get into this today to understand our role and our position. So number one, if we just say to ourselves, well, this is a battle between God and the devil, you know, and sometimes the devil wins and sometimes God's win, you know, we just sit back and watch it happen. We miss the entire point of the story. The entire point of the story is that Jesus defeated the devil so that now his followers, his children, participants in his kingdom, in his church can defeat the devil as well or continue the defeat. What we look at when we call ourselves more than conquerors is we're looking at continuing in the conquering of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're enacting the victory that's already been given to us. That's why we're going to learn today that our position is, and, and, and the battle is standing in victory, not trying to go and get victory. Victory has been given to us, so we are to stand in it. We are to stand in the victory. So I'm fighting from a place of victory, not fighting for victory. Does everybody get the difference? And that's huge because, once again, in today's title, I'm resisting the devil because I have already been made free from the devil. If I'm a Christian, I have already been given the authority of, of the devil over the devil because of Christ Jesus, and I am not letting him have another foothold in my life. I am not letting him take, as a thief, anything from my life. I am standing in the victory. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, carrying the authority of Jesus Christ, starting in verse 12, Peter talks to us about what it's going to be like in these end times as we are continuing to be the church and having the authority of Jesus Christ, having the victory. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So understand this, that there will be suffering in this world, but it's suffering from a defeated foe coming against us to try to discourage us. Because the devil knows he's been defeated and that his time is short, all he has left is to try to give us, get us to give up by giving us momentary sufferings until God sends his son to judge the earth and enact the final part of his victory the human race can still be in rebellion against God with the traitor, the devil, if they want. And what they will do is inflict to us suffering, persecution, because they are deceived by the one who is himself deceived. Why do you think Satan keeps fighting knowing that he's defeated? Something has deceived him. I believe the deception that he's believing is that the more he brings others with him on the day of judgment into hell, the more he can call out to God for a second chance and that the wrath of God will be subsided. I don't know, but that's my best guess to his deception. He does not believe in the finality of the judgment against him. He knows he's defeated. He was there at the cross. He was a part of the, the spectacle Jesus made of him and the angels in front of all of the other uh, you know, angels of heaven. There was a, a, a spectacle, the Bible says, somewhat like a pimp slap. I believe a pimp slap that was heard around heaven, that the devil got pimp slapped. He gets beat down, stepped down. I don't know what it looked like in the spiritual realm, but the Bible says Jesus made a spectacle of him, so he, he slapped him, and he stepped on him, and he took some, some keys from him, either symbolically or literally. And he basically made him look like, you're a wimp. You're done. You're over. You're squash. But once again, that doesn't mean that today Satan has no more authority or power because the earth has not been subjected to Jesus's judgment and his wrath. And so the devil, for whatever reason, knowing that his time is short, is fighting against the church by deceiving people as he's been deceiving them to get them to afflict the Christians. That's why when you think about the kind of hate that, God, uh, that the devil has had against God's people, it's second to none what the Jewish people and the Christian people have endured throughout the ages. There's not anything else like it. Of course, there's been a lot of tragedies done to other groups of people, but continually to this day, 
the Christians, and every nation that they find themselves in are persecuted. And it's almost like it's, it's, it's so deceiving to each people group that they think they're the only ones that have ever done it. Like right now, we have our friend from Nini's Deli, the Riascos, you know. They are persecuted by the community of Chicago. The restaurant's already closed. They've already left the city. And they still continually mock and ridicule them. Just the other day, Juan sent me the handle that they now have for Nini's Deli on Instagram where it's nothing but to mock and ridicule. And there's no point. There's no more restaurant called Nini's Deli. These two brothers don't even live in Chicago. But, but this generation, these group of young people, think it is so novel. They think it is so unique. Like they are just so amazing. The starter pack for a persecutor. Like they literally just got the starter pack and they think they're so unique. But they're no different in their persecution towards Nini's Deli and Christians today as, as people have been for thousands of years. They persecute our belief of heaven and hell. They persecute our beliefs about sins, you know, and righteousness. They persecute our standards of holiness. They persecute our books and our leaders. And they think they're so, like, novel at it. They think, they think like, they're the first ones to have done it. But this is the attack that's always come against the people of God. You can literally go back and read the apologetic defenses that Christians were making against the, the Roman attacks against our faith. And it's so ridiculous, but it was like so real for them. You look back on Nero and him blaming the fire that really devastated a lot of Rome on the Christians. And you would think, I mean, that is so stupid. Why would you blame the destruction of a fire, you know, based, you know, based on that fire or whatever, on what Christians have believed? Why would you do that? But he was an opportunist. He was just simply taking what had happened that everybody was mad about. We're mad about this fire. We've got to find a reason why there's a fire in our city. And he just points to Christians. And that's exactly what people are doing now. Seriously, they look at all the anger that they have pent up towards, you know, the pandemic or towards COVID and all of that. And they just want to say, Christian, it's all your fault that it's spreading. It's all your fault that we have a disease. It's all your fault. And we're just going to be angry with you. We're going to be so angry. We're going to be irrationally angry with Christians because it's your fault. Just like the Jews being persecuted by the Germans. It's your fault. It's your fault. And the people of God have always had this uh, irrational hatred brought against them. But it's a sign. It's a sign that the glory of God is on us. Listen to it. He says, rejoice because you're participating in the sufferings of Christ. You should be overjoyed because there's glory to be revealed. Verse 15, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God because you bear that name. So Nini's Deli should be rejoicing that they're suffering for the name of Christ. We should be rejoicing that we're suffering for the name of Christ. Have you, re have you read our Google reviews lately? We should be rejoicing for suffering for the name of Christ. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and of the sinner? You see, the Bible says, so then when you suffer, suffer according to God's will and commit yourself to your creator because he's faithful and he'll continue to do good. Just stay right there for me, please, sir. When we think about how the judgment starts with us, the shaking starts with us. It shouldn't be a surprise that in every single age, when the church is being persecuted, there's also great divisions within the church. Every single time the church is being attacked, there's also divisions within the church. In the first couple centuries of the church, while they're being fed to lions, there's people walking around with false gospels, the gospel of Thomas, the gospel of Barnabas, and they're putting in there these gospels, their own ideas about who Jesus was. This is in the midst of great persecution. You find out also as we go through the Middle Ages, during the time of the Inquisitions, we're being persecuted by the Roman Catholics because we want to read the Bible in our own language and we believe that we're the priesthood of God, not an individual priest that we need to confess sins to, but we only have one high priest and we are all his priests, you know, called out people as the Bible says. But during that time, you have all of these different divisions within the Protestant movement. You have like the Anabaptists who eventually become like the Amish who don't want to progress 
address it all with technology because they believe it's sin and they have to continue to speak German, etc. And you have them fighting over baptism and fighting over these things while there's this large organization hunting them all down and killing them. And then you come to the time of America when we came here for freedom of religion. Not saying that was everybody's motive for here, being here, but there was a lot of people that came for that. And you start to see the development of the, of the American church being free in the mission movement. But at that same time, these cults begin to develop. Right around that time, the Mormon cult, the Jehovah Witness cult, the, uh, the Unitarian cult. You see these, uh, you know, the, the Christian Church of Science begin to start all during that, those same times. Because there's always during the time of persecution from the outside, there is a dividing on the inside. What God is allowing to happen is the church to become pure. And the church must be tested. The church must be tested. So you have to decide today, what do you believe doctrinally? You know, not that you just have a uh, surface level understanding of Christianity, but that you have a depth into the word of God. And I'm not to say that I'm not saying that we have to understand every single thing in the scriptures, but there is an orthodox faith. There is a genuine faith that we should have. And I think right now it's being attacked. I think critical race theory, I think BLM and Marxism as it's having its way in the gospel, I think it's a false gospel. I think it changes who Jesus is. You know, critical race theory says that we should divide up among our races. Well, the Bible says there's only one race, the human race. Critical race theory says that you ought to look back into your past to find out who hurt you and then to be repaid for it by their ancestors or by their, you know, their lineage today. You know, punish the, the, the ancestors by punishing their present day, you know, people. And the Bible says that we should live in forgiveness, not holding the sins of the children, not, not holding the sins of the father against their children, but that there should be true reconciliation the gospel brings reconciliation, not, uh, not what uh, today they want. What's the other R where I want to put it together? Reparations, yes, thank you. Let me get back to preaching. The Bible talks about reconciliation, not reparations, because the gospel says that we are to forgive. And that we are to not hold it against our parents or our ancestors, but we are to teach each other to be who the one that God called them to be. And if their ancestor was a sinner or a wicked person, that they are not to be like them. That's how they show that they're living for Jesus. Amen. And so today we find that in our, in our culture, we're suffering from the outside. We're suffering within. But the Bible says that this is all part of his plan. And so that we're not to be discouraged, we're to remain righteous and to remain holy. And it is from the outside, it is hard for the righteous to be saved. When you look at it, right, when you look at it, it's not that it's easy right now to serve Christ. Even though Jesus said, I make my yoke, my yoke is easy and my load is light, that is true. But from the, the perspective of what we go through, it is hard. But if we give Christ our burdens, if we let Christ carry our burdens and don't take on the, the pity patty of this world, we will make it through this. And the Bible says that we will make it through as the Lord carries the burden. And so we don't have to uh, become discouraged in the time of discouragement. We need to flip it upside down and see that Christ is with us, that Christ is carrying the, the cross with us, you know, because he's told us to carry the cross. But that doesn't mean we just suffer all alone. We suffer with Christ. We suffer for Christ. Amen? And as we do, we commit ourselves to him. Because look at what it says. Those who suffer according to God's will commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. How many are committing your suffering even to Jesus right now? How many are committing the divisions that are happening in the church to Christ right now? Let Christ be glorified through this. Because I can pretty much tell you, anybody who's raising their fist with BLM is no longer an orthodox. Orthodox pastor in my mind. They are no longer one worth following. Amen? And anyone who keeps their doors closed, listen to me, anyone who keeps their doors closed is no longer a man or woman of faith in my mind. Amen? We, we may go through some hard times keeping our doors open, and sure, surely we have. And let me just tell you, even, even if we all get sick, even if everybody has to be quarantined, the doors will still be open. Amen? Somebody can walk in here and come on in because we're not trusting them anymore to close our doors. We trusted them before the government, and we saw what they did with it. Now we'll quarantine ourselves. We'll do whatever it has to take during these times, but we're not closing the doors again. Amen? We're not giving them. We're not giving them that right and authority over the church. 
That doesn't mean we're going to be dangerous. If you're sick, quarantine yourself, not only during COVID, but during the cold season and the flu season too, you know? So here's, here's my heart for all of us. Commit yourself to God in the midst of your suffering. Amen? And now let's resist the devil. Go to the next chapter, chapter 5, Peter talking. He says, humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You see, that's the promise for us in this generation as we're carrying the authority of Jesus is that we're going to humble ourselves. We're not going to fight this as vigilantes. I thank God for the militias that are out there and they're having fun carrying their guns, playing dress up on the weekends. But that's not my battle. That's not your battle. If you want to take that on, that's taking on another battle. That's between you and the Lord. But I can tell you from the Christian point of view, no militia is going to save you. No president even is going to save you, and I think you should vote for the one closest to your values. Trust me, I'm, I'm, I'm supporting us being involved in politics, but I'm here to tell you the only one that will save us is God. That's the only one. And so first and foremost, we all have to do this. Whether you join the militia, that's up to you. Whether or not you're going to vote for, you know, so-and-so, that's up to you. But what I can guarantee is that if you don't do this, you're going to lose. Because even when we have all of those other things right, God can still pour out his wrath on this nation, and we can still lose. Are you listening to me? We can lose even while we're doing everything right. The Israelites, it got to the point where God said, even now if you tried to do everything right, it's too late. I'm sending judgment upon you. And that's why people like Daniel went into the lion's den, and they were taken into Babylon. It was over. There was a time when God said, it's over. Now, do I believe it's over yet for America? No. But here's the first important thing that we have to do. We have to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. We cannot be dependent upon an outside source right now. Otherwise, we will be deceived, and we will miss what God has for us. Are you guys with me? You're not even promised another day, let alone to see the election. We're not promised another four years. What happens today if we die? What happens today if our enemies invade us? What happens today if a nuclear weapon takes over or blows up parts of our nation and it causes us to be taken over? What I'm trying to say is we cannot put our hope in anything except Jesus Christ. In the midst of our battles, I'm still going to do what's right. But I'm understanding that there is a primary function of the church, and that is for us to be right with God when the times around us are wrong. It is up to us to continue to carry the authority of God, even if, sadly, which has happened before, nations have come and gone. Because right now, the Christians of China, they're already there. And that's why I can't promise you, listen, as much as I love America and I want there to be good times for America, I can't promise America's going to make it. We could be China this time next month. I mean, we could. There's nothing in the Bible that promises us we're going to have another revival or an awakening. I'm believing for that. I can find general promises. You know, I can. I can see in the scriptures where when they pray, God shows up, and there's enough of us here praying, and he'll have mercy on our land. I, I, I get that. But what if, what if we become like a China and we're the Christian church of the underground? How do you win then? How do you stay faithful to the Lord then? Because your Christianity cannot be attached to your Americanity. You know, you're, you're, I'm America. You know, this is not Americanity. This is Christianity. And Christ stands when all other governments fall. And we know eventually they are going to fall. At some point, America joins with the one world government. At some point, she does that. It's going to be a sad day, and I hope it's never on my watch. But I'm telling you, at some point, she joins with the other nations of the earth and comes against the plans of God and stands against Israel because the Bible says the Antichrist rules the nations of the earth. I believe in that. But what I can do, what I can guarantee will bring me victory is if today I humble myself under God's mighty hand, I know he will lift me up. I will be on the winning side of history because God's government has no end. The Bible says he will have the government on his shoulders. Is that not what it says during the Christmas time story? And the government that is on his shoulders will have no end. The authority that he was given at the resurrection will last for all of eternity. Amen? And all nations will bow down before him, either sooner or later. And so we have to cast our anxiety on him because he cares for us. 
be alert and of a sober mind. This is why we do not believe in recreational drug use nor of drunkenness. If you drink, you can drink in moderation. And people say, well, I want to smoke. I want to smoke in moderation. Well, here's the reason why you don't smoke drugs in moderation is because when you smoke drugs, when you smoke weed, when you do drugs, what's the whole point? The point is to get high, is to get high. If you're not smoking to get high, what are you doing? Okay? Now, the thing with drinking alcohol, you don't have to drink to get drunk. Do you understand the difference? You can drink in moderation. It's not like you can pop pills in moderation. It's not like you can smoke weed in moderation. And if you are smoking it in moderation like that, then you're smoking the wrong kind, right? Because the, the, the potent kind of gets you high. You, get, you take one hit, you're high. You don't have to keep smoking and smoking, you're high. And those who do that, are continue, who keep smoking after they're high, are doing it to remain high. Now, do I believe in medicinal use of, uh, of drugs? Yes, that's why we're given those things, the Bible says. We're given them for our our benefit, but not to lose a sober mind. And if you can't drink, listen, if you can't drink without getting a sober, uh, you know, without staying sober mind, then don't drink at all. Because your sober mind is the greatest gift that God has given you. And it's to prepare you for what's ahead. That's why if you look at the times you've gotten drunk and the times you've gotten high, you did things you regretted. Okay, just think about it. The times you've gotten drunk or high, you did things that you regretted. And the Bible says you are to be alert. You are to be of a sober mind. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is looking to devour us. We have got to wake up in this culture if we think that the devil is not real and that he's not looking to devour us. We have got to wake up. He is looking to devour us. Look at what he's doing in our culture. Look at what he's doing to our people. Look at how he's messed up how we view sexuality. Look at how he's messed up how we view each other even. He's convinced us to be racist again. Literally, the guy who came up with the DNA sequence is now a eugenist. A eugenist. It is the spirit of this age to try to divide among races. And now he is teaching, like the, like the German doctors used to teach, that there are differences not only just in our melanin and our skin color, but there are actually genetical, intelligent differences based on our races. And he is a eugenist. They have taken away all of his notoriety, and he still believes it. And yet people think that we're the crazy ones. My friends, it was only a matter of time until that racist lie was birthed up again in this culture. And everyone promoting racism at heart has to believe that. Because if you believe that the different genetic differences makes, makes us a different race, then there has to be other differences as well. Which one of us is closer to the apes and which one of us is further from the apes? If you believe we came from apes, and if you believe that, you know, from the goo through the zoo to the you, that's, you know, that's how we got here, then, then there has to be someone among us that's closer and someone among us to, to the apes and someone that's further. And so why not study that? Do you get their thinking? And so it only makes sense when they're possessed by the devil to do those crazy things. But they are doing it. And it's the same thing with the abortion industry. It only took us a matter of time before eugenics entered back in. Now, as of now, right now, today, they are teaching us to kill children with Down syndrome and handicaps. One child in our church was born with uh, the umbilical cord around the arm, and it caused the arm to be detached. And this beautiful boy, he's been born now, was born basically with, you know, the elbow down missing, from the elbow down missing. And yet they told the mother, at the point of where he could even be born, it's still not too late for you to abort your child. These are things that we used to condemn in the past, to kill the handicapped, to murder the, the sick among us, now is popularized and is looked at as being normal. Pedophilia, you guys have been probably seeing it, is no longer looked at as a mental illness. It's no longer uh, looked at as something that's just abnormal. Now it's a part of the human gene code and that some among us are going to be born with it. And so it's not as abnormal as we once thought. And that it shouldn't be criminalized. It shouldn't be criminalized. And all of these things, what? What are they showing to us? That the devil's prowling, isn't he? He's trying to deceive us. And people are buying into these arguments. They think they're so smart. Oh, I'm so smart now. I've, I've become a racist. No, you're not smart. You're an idiot. 
you're an idiot, that you've become a racist. You are literally an idiot. Oh, I'm so smart now. I believe it's good to kill children with Down syndrome and handicaps. No, you have not become a smart person. You've become a fool. You have become a fool. This, but this is the way of the world, isn't it? They're so deceived, they don't know they're deceived. You can literally point to them. You, you can see a, listen, you can see a young adult wearing, wearing a Che Guevara shirt, and you can point to him the history of Che Guevara, how he tortured people, how he was anti-homosexual, how, how people who lived in Cuba who are alive today escaped, ran away from him. But yet you will talk to the idiot wearing the shirt, and they will sing his praises. They will sing his praises, and yet they never lived in his nation. They never suffered under his regime. And those who have are running far from him. But they will tell you that he was really a good guy. He was the kind of person you would want to bring home to meet your parents, you know, for Thanksgiving dinner. Like, but that's deception. Do you see how deceiving it is? Our nation is on more, you know, mental drugs than they've ever been on before, psychotropic drugs. And I'm not trying to say that all of it's, you know, uh, literally in their head and that maybe that, that it's not all true. I do think that there's a lot of overprescribing. But the point is we are more, we are more drugged in our minds than ever before, and yet we think we're thinking clearly. We think we're thinking clearly, and we're not. We are, we are destroying ourselves, we are deceived, and yet we don't see it. Why? Because what did the Bible say? That the devil pours around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And if you're not standing in the truth, you're going to be devoured. What does it say? Resist him standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. What are we, where are we suffering in our, in our culture right now? We're suffering for our freedoms. We're suffering for our families. We're suffering for our ethical codes. Aren't those the same exact things that we've suffered for all around the world and in all histories? Yeah, why did we suffer in the Roman Empire? Because we wouldn't worship the pagan gods. We wouldn't worship the government. Aren't we suffering for that now? We don't worship their gods. We don't worship the government. Caesar is not our Lord. Jesus is Lord. We suffer in our families. We believe that children are a blessing from God. Why were we suffering in the Roman Empire? Because we were, we were taking the children, uh, which was illegal to take. If they were thrown out, they were supposed to die. And we were running in the night, hiding and taking these children. And we were suffering from the Romans because we were rescuing children. We were suffering from the Romans because we cared about the poor. And they wanted the poor to be there as their working class. They wanted slavery to continue to exist. And yet we're setting free the slaves. Read the book of Philemon. And we were suffering because of that. That's why we're suffering today in China. We don't worship the government. We want more than one child. And they're only allowing the Christians to have one child. Are you listening to me? It's the same sufferings. But the Bible says, stand firm in the faith. You and I have to stand firm. You have to. This is it. It's your choice. I'm going to stand firm in the faith. How many of you are going to stand with me? Amen. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will, re will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Let's give it up for Jesus today. Amen. <laughs> Band, would you come up? We're going to close. Would you leave up the scriptures for me, please? Because as we get ready to close, I want to encourage us today to not be distracted by sufferings. Does the suffering that you and I are going through, does it change the fact that we have the authority today? No. It does not change the fact that we win. Just because we're suffering right now does not mean that we do not have the authority of Christ on this earth. We do. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it's because we have that authority that we are suffering. Why doesn't the devil come against the Sikhs? Why aren't the Sikhs a hated people group all across the earth? Why isn't the devil coming against today these different religions? Because they have no threat to his power. As nice as Sikhs are, they have no threat to the power of Satan. As nice as Mormons are, 
I look at Mormons during this time, and I'm like, how did the Mormons avoid all persecution? First of all, they are the very ones who invented the white Jesus. They literally believe as a part of their doctrine, Jesus is white. They have taught for years that black people are a part of the fallen race of angels that came from heaven. I'm like, how are they not being canceled? The reason why no one is canceling the Mormons is because nobody cares about the Mormons. Seriously. When Sean King was like, we're going to tear down white Jesuses, he should go right to the Mormon temple and tear down every white thing they have of Jesus, okay? But why didn't it, why didn't it occur to them to go tear down white Jesus of Mormonism? Because Mormonism is powerless in our culture. Nobody gives a flip about what they do. Nobody cares about Mormons, right? But they care about Christians, evangelical Christians, even though we don't care if Jesus was white, black, pink, purple, it doesn't matter to us, but yet they're going to come against us. Why? Because we stand against them. We stand against them. We preach against them. We're on the streets preaching. I have had, this is how wicked people are, I have had sinners defend Jehovah Witnesses while we are rebuking them while we're street preaching. I've had sinners say, leave them alone, leave them alone. And I'm like, you hate these people. Your, your mindset is against these people knocking on, their, on your door. I know you're a culture, you're you millennials. You hate these people. You think these people are brainwashed. And yet, when we're preaching against them, we're there on the street. We're not letting them run and hide. We're knocking on their door now, in other words. Literally, the world comes and defends them. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. And we're like, we're not hurting them. We're just rebuking them in the name of Jesus. We're just teaching them the truth. But they will take their side. Seriously, they will take, they will defend the Jehovah Witness just to be against the Christian. You, you can see it every time we go out and preach. Seriously, man. You can see the United Nations gather up against us as Christians. You'll see, I'm serious, you'll see the Sikh with his turban on. You'll see the Muslim. You'll see the Jehovah Witness. You'll have the Mormon. You'll have the Satanists. You'll have the black Hebrew Israelite. You'll have them all screaming at us. I seriously have seen the United Nations come against us while we are street preaching. I, I'm telling you, I, one time a, a Hebrew Israelite, because you know, they act so tough when they have the mic. But when we have the mic, we actually let them have a dialogue with us. So I let the guy come onto the mic, and we were just rocking him in the name of Jesus. He was just getting just rocked by the truth. The guy got so offended. The guy got so offended. He said, well, I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm not going to talk. So he marches over to a white woman that basically he was just saying was a devil that he gets to own as a sex slave in the kingdom of God. This is literally what he was arguing with me about. But he then goes to the white woman to cry a tear on her shoulder to have her feel sorry for him because the big, mean old Christian just rebuked him a bunch of times from the microphone. And the woman gave, gave him a listening ear. Oh, I feel so bad. Yeah, these Christians are so judgmental. This guy wants you literally to kiss his boot. Literally, look up white people kissing the boots of Hebrew Israelites. I'm 100% serious. This guy wants you to lick his boot and be a sex slave, but yet you have found commonality. Why? Because the children of darkness are one. And that's why. And that's why. You and I are not to be discouraged while we're suffering because that's what's happening to the family of believers throughout the world. You're not the only ones. Right now in Pakistan, number one hated group, Christians. Right now, Christians. In Africa, in the continent of Africa, in different places like Kenya and Nigeria and Sudan and other nations, Ethiopia, number one nation, uh, number one people group hated, Christians. And so, my friends, resist the devil. Do not give in to him. Keep coming to church. Keep witnessing to your friends. Don't get discouraged because they don't like you. Jesus said, woe when all men speak, speak uh, well of you, for that's what they do of the false prophets. 
Jesus said that they hate me because I've talked to them about their sin. He said they can't hate you because you, because uh, he said they can't hate you because you are in sin. Today, you and I must stand and resist the devil. And I'll say this in closing. Before all of this happened with, you know, um, the, the COVID and the BLM and all of this, I had a time when I was in prayer with the Lord. And I felt the Lord gave me the ability to speak to the principality over our city, that, you know, that wicked spirit that's organizing against the church and against the things of God. And many of you have heard me talk about this before, but there's one part I just want to remind us of, and that is when I was speaking to that principality, I made a promise, and it's a promise that we're going to keep, that we will either fill stadiums being put to death or fill stadiums for the evangelistic purposes of Christ. But either or, we will not be hidden in this generation. Are you with me? So they can either drag us and put us in the stadiums and we'll lay down our lives for Jesus again. Or we will fill those stadiums with worship and gospel preaching. Amen. Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. I can't promise you one way or another, but I'm going to promise you one way or another it will happen. I don't know if it's going to be stadiums for persecution or stadiums for revival, but I can promise you for sure it's going to be stadiums either way. We will not be hidden in this generation. We will not back down in this generation. We will not let them intimidate us. We will not let them put fear in us. We know there's a shaking in the body of Christ. We know it on the outside it looks hard for the righteous to be saved. But in, in fact, it is easy for us to serve God because there's no other way for us. Would you just pray that out today, Lord, that I'm going to serve you no matter what because this is the easiest decision to make. It may be hard on the outside at times, God, but I'm not giving up nor giving in because, Lord, you make the yoke easy. I'm carrying the cross, Lord, because you carry it with me. And whatever sufferings I may be going through today, I know that you're good. I commit my life to you, O oh God. I resist the devil. I humble myself. I'm not too good for this. I'm not too good for this in the name of Jesus. Resist the devil and he'll flee. Stand your ground. A few moments right now to strengthen your backbone, to give you spiritual resolve. In the name of Jesus, we will stand our ground in this generation. Whatever comes our way, we will not back down. In the name of Jesus, a few moments right now. Where are you at, Christians? We do pray for revival as well. Lift up this nation. Lord, we pray for this nation to experience revival. We pray for this city to be the hub of revival for the Midwest, oh God. In the name of Jesus. Pour out your spirit, oh God. Awaken the church. Awaken your church, oh Lord. Let the shaking come. We will not give in. We will not be deceived. Father, do it, do it, do it in the name of Jesus. Come on, we've prayed for revival before. And now we see what it looks like. Do you still want it? Come on, do you still want it? You've prayed for revival. And now you see what it costs. Do you still want it? In the name of Jesus. We still want revival, God. We still want revival. The missionaries used to pray for the nations. But yeah, they had to face malaria. They had to face the villagers. They had to face the governments. Did they still want it? That, that had to be a cost that they were willing to pay. We're saying that we want revival. But are you willing to preach in the middle of a pandemic? Are you willing to go against the government? Are you willing to stand your ground morally? Are you willing to pay the price? That's what it's going to take in this generation. We pray for our governmental leaders to repent. We pray for the hypocrisy to end in the name of Jesus. We pray for the states to be set free. Right now in Jesus' name, we pray for mayors and governors to repent. We pray for the backslidden church to get on fire.
We pray for the backslidden church to get on fire in Jesus' name, to open up their doors or to give their churches to those who will open the doors in the name of Jesus. A few more moments we're praying because we believe our God hears us. We're resisting the devil, standing strong in the authority of Christ. Would you sing whatever's in your heart, Des? We'll close out in just a moment. But as she sings, would you just pray right now? We ask for true revival. This is our time. This is our generation. Come on, it was one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to live in. Are you desperate for a move of God? Do you feel like they did in Colombia during the time of the drug cartels before revival broke out in Cali, Colombia and they filled the stadiums? Do you feel like the way they did in Buenos Aires before the Argentine revival? Do you feel like they did in Lagos before Nigeria broke out in revival? Are you ready? Are you ready to do whatever it takes? Come on, do you have a hunger in your heart like the early Methodists had that they would travel up and down their their nation developing the Bible Belt? The Bible Belt didn't come out of nowhere. It came from preachers and Christians willing to develop a culture, set it around the kingdom. Are you willing to do what they did? Who wants to be like them today? We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Who wants to be like the underground church of China today? Even under threat of arrest, still meeting, still preaching, still seeing the move of the Spirit. In the name of Jesus. for his glory. Amen. I'm going to dismiss now and then those who want to stay and keep worshiping can. Father, thank you for this awesome day. Lord, we stand in wonder and awe of your love and your grace. You've been so good to us. Lord, how can we deny you now? How can we not give it all to you now? So, Lord, we ask you to pour us out in this generation. Use our lives for your glory. May we be witnesses of your goodness in every sphere of life. May we have leaders rise up in every mountain of influence, O God, to preach your gospel from politics to entertainment, O God. To the arts, O oh Lord, may there be a rising, a weight raising up of your church, O oh Lord, in this end time hour. And may we resist the enemy and stand for your truth. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Resist the devil, he will flee. God bless you. I hope you get to enjoy somewhat of this holiday weekend. Maybe the sun will come out.